والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Someone can please do a quick uh, just sound check and just type in the chat and make sure that everything's uh, okay sound wise. And then, uh, inshallah ta'ala, meanwhile, I will start. Bismillah rahman rahim Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, wa la aqibatu lil muttaqeen, wa la udwana illa ala zalimeen, wa ashadu an la ilaha illa allahu wahdahu la sharika lah. إله الأولين والآخرين وأشهد أن نبينا محمدا عبده ورسوله المصطفى الأمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد. So welcome to another another lesson with Quranic progression and inshallah taala today uh, as you probably noticed from the title of this lesson and also um, I think probably on the messages. That we have a special. So as we usually do by now, I think most of us are familiar with our routine. Uh, when we finish a surah, and because as the surahs get longer, it's taking us longer and longer to, to finish a surah. But after we finish a surah, normally we do one or two sessions on a special. And that's because, as I've mentioned before, one of the um, objectives that I have for Quranic progression is not just simply to go through tafsir, but also to kind of open up uh, discussion and, and study of related sciences. Um, and, and we do like different types of sciences, different types of specials. Uh, and possibly next week, inshallah ta'ala, we will do a session that I hope will work. We're just trying to plan how it works in terms of, because um, it's not just going to be a simple uh, delivery session where I just speak. But there's going to be a, a level of uh, me writing and showing you stuff. And so a level of interactive interactivity that we don't normally have in our lessons. So for that reason, it may... Um, you know, we're going to try to get it done for next week. If not, then inshallah ta'ala, we'll have to delay it for a, a future time. But it's something that we're working on behind the scenes to see how we can bring it together. But that's possibly next week. So keep an eye out for that, inshallah ta'ala. Um, and that session will be, as I, as I kind of alluded to before, one of the things that I wanted to do this year was to show you how different sciences interrelate with one another. So often what we do in Quranic progression we do tafsir, or sometimes I'll do a special, for example, on qira'at, or sometimes it will be a special on, for example, waqf and ibtida', how to start up and stop in terms of reciting the Qur'an. But these sciences are not distinct sciences in the sense that you just study each one independently, and they don't have any any overlap or any uh, interdependent, interdependency or, or relevance to one another. And so one of the things that I wanted to do this year, inshallah ta'ala, is to bring in a session just to kind of give you a, a very simple session it won't be very technical or detailed but just to give you a basic understanding and idea of how the salaf and how the scholars of old when they would study for example the recitation of the quran or the reading of the quran or the memorization of the quran they would bring multiple sciences together um, and how that's something which we are we have lost uh, somewhat in our time but like i said that's something for next week inshallah ta'ala if we can if not then it will probably be delayed until our next special, um, just so that we can get things right. Okay, so today's uh, session, so last week we finished the tafsir of Surah Al-A'la, and we covered the last few verses of Surah Al-A'la, and we mentioned the uh, the statements of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, بَلْ تُؤْثِرُونَ الْحَيَاةَ الدُّنْيَا Rather, you give preference to the life of this world, وَالْآخِرَةُ خَيْرٌ وَأَبْقَى Even though the life of the next world is better and more lasting, إِنَّ هَذَا لَفِي الصُّحُفِ الْأُولَى Indeed, this is in the scriptures of old, Suhuf Ibrahim wa Musa, the scriptures of Ibrahim and Musa. And we mentioned a number of discussion points concerning 
in particular those two last verses uh, concerning what, what Allah Azzawajal is referring to in the ism ishara when he says inna hadha indeed in this what that this is referring to is it the whole of the surah or is it those last few verses of the surah that is being referred to and we also mentioned then um, that it's uh, that the scholars have a discussion somewhat concerning the exact nature of the suhuf of Ibrahim and Musa the scriptures of Ibrahim and Musa and in particular the suhuf of Musa alayhi salam so the parchments or the scriptures of or the pages of, of Musa alayhi salam what is it referring to and is it one and the same as the Torah or are they two distinct revelations that we mentioned the difference of opinion that the scholars of tafsir have and how some of them said it is essentially one and the same and how others from amongst them said no there's a difference and those scholars um, many of them said that the Torah uh, was the ahkam was the rulings that were sent down for Bani Israel whereas the suhuf the, the parchments or the scriptures were the uh, were the, uh, the the parables and the stories and the reminders that Allah sent down to Bani Israel so that's Surah Al-A'la. So our uh, discussion today, inshallah ta'ala, is going to be on a scholar of tafsir that we often refer to and his tafsir. Uh, so we've done a number of, of specials uh, so far for uh, in, in terms of this particular topic or in terms of this particular area, if you like, uh, and that is the discussion of scholars of tafsir and their methodologies of tafsir. And that's something which is important because we often mention a number of names and books as we're going through our tafsir sessions and it's important to kind of know and grasp who these people are because for the most part uh, these tafsir have not been translated into the English language and so unless you're someone who's versed in Arabic and you have access to these books and you've read them and studied them then it's not going to be something which you necessarily will relate to. There is by the way a um, you know I think a, a strong argument to be made that we should do within these specials the tarajim and the um, you know the uh, the biographies of scholars who don't necessarily have works of tafsir. So, for example, the likes of Mujahid and Qatada and Ikrima and you know those early scholars amongst the Tabi'een and their students as well. I would leave the companions because the companions, alhamdulillah, it's very easy to access their biographies for the most part, especially when it comes to tafsir, because we're speaking about the likes of Ibn Mas'ud and Ibn Abbas and others, and I think that they are very well known in terms of their biographies are very easily available in terms of lecture form and in terms of written form but from the generation of the students the tabi'een and then going onwards maybe it's not so accessible um, and so i think there is a st- strong argument to be made that we should do that as well um you know and i'll let you put into into the chat whether you think that's something which we should look into or not uh, for my part i wanted to focus on the books of tafsir and the scholars or the authors of tafsir because I think as a methodological uh, point, from a methodological point of view, that may be easier or perhaps even more uh, beneficial for the student of knowledge that wants to study tafsir. But no doubt, those giants of tafsir from the tabi'een and their students and those early generations of the scholars of tafsir, they have a great right upon us. And from those rights is that we know something of their lives. So maybe what we can do then, if people think it's a good idea, Maybe it's something which we, uh, you know, maybe we can uh, we can bring a few of them together. Uh, so we do like three or four in one lesson, so rather than a detailed biography of each one, because each one of them, their lives uh, and and their uh, and their and their biographies would be would be a distinct lecture in and of itself. But we can bring like two or three together, or three or four together, time permitting, and that way we can like touch upon them and who they are without necessarily going into the very deep detail of their whole life and biography and so on. 
So in terms of this general topic of the scholars of tafsir, I think so far, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but so far in our Quranic progression journey, and we're in our fifth year now, alhamdulillah, so in our last four, four and a half years now, that we've been doing it, we've done the the biography of Imam al-Tabari and his tafsir, we've done the biography of Imam al-Qurtubi and his tafsir, and because in Ramadan I do a program in which we go through uh, the reading and commentary of books of tafsir that have been translated into English, we've done also the biographies of the Jalalain, uh, Jalaluddin al-Suyuti and Jalaluddin al-Mahalli, and we've also done the biography of Sheikh Abdurrahman ibn Nasir al-Sa'di, rahimahumullahu ta'ala ajma'in. And so these scholars, because we're studying them in one way or another, we've kind of done their biographies and their methodology of tafsir. So that's uh, from what I remember. So if someone, uh, you know, if I've missed someone out, please let me know. Um, otherwise, I think those are probably the scholars that we've covered so far. So today we have another uh, major scholar from the scholars of tafsir and an author from the authors of tafsir whose book is considered to be one of the primary sources and reference points in our science of tafsir. And that is none other than the famous scholar Ibn Atiyah, rahimahullah ta'ala. Uh, Ibn Atiyah is considered to be not only a, a, a major scholar of tafsir, uh, his book is considered to be one of the main reference points of tafsir. So you have books, for example, that gather things together. And you have books that, for example, may summarize other books of tafsir. And you have books, for example, that may specialize in certain aspects of the sciences of the Qur'an. So someone may specialize in the Arabic language or in the Qira'at or one of the science, of the sciences or another. But some of the scholars, what they had the ability to do was to gather everything or multiple sciences together and then to also commentate upon it and to give their views and their views were considered to be so uh, worthy and notable that the scholars who came after them essentially depended upon their books of tafsir. So a good example of this would be Imam al-Tabari. Imam al-Tabari, even though it is a tafsir, which gathers narrations together. Many, many of the early narrations you will find in the book of Imam al-Tabari in his tafsir. But Imam al-Tabari is also unique, as we mentioned, because he's someone who will commentate. He will analyze. He will give his own view and he will mention what he considers to be strong or weak or more authentic or less authentic and so on and so forth. And that is something which is valuable. And so from the scholars who are considered to be of that like, uh, you know, other than Imam al-Tabari would be someone, for example, like Ibn Taymiyyah and Ibn Qayyim, even though they don't have uh, particular works of tafsir, but they're people who wrote throughout their works extensively in tafsir. And what the scholars did in our time is that they extracted all of those different works of, or the, those different statements of tafsir that they had, and those different uh, references regarding tafsir, and they essentially compiled, compiled them together and made distinct works of tafsir. Uh, in in terms of um, those scholars then who fit that category of being people who were known for their positions and other scholars who came after them depended upon those positions and they considered them to be noteworthy, considered them to be reliable sources in terms of their judgments and in terms of their, their analysis of the scholars of tafsir statements and their positions and so on. From amongst those scholars, no doubt is the subject of our lesson today, that is Ibn Atiyah, rahimahullah ta'ala. And it is enough, as we mentioned when we were going through the tafsir of Imam al-Qurtubi, uh, that Ibn Atiyah is someone who, especially in the western part of the Arab or the Muslim empire as it was during that time, because as we know, the Muslim empire expands. You have the eastern side, which goes all the way to the likes of Khurasan and Bukhara and those places where you have the likes of Imam Bukhari and a Tirmidhi and a Nasa'i and those scholars that came from the eastern hemisphere of the Muslim empire. Then you likewise had to expand towards the west. 
and that would include uh, all the way up to southern Spain and to Morocco and, and Tunisia and that type and region of the world and that as we know is called the Al-Andalus or it is called uh, the, the western part Al-Maghrib or it is called the western part of the Muslim empire as it existed during that time. So you have as we mentioned a great deal of scholars when we're going through the life of Imam Ta'ala, we mentioned that there were many scholars who lived in Al-Andalus and many of them were major scholars. It is sufficient, I think, in terms of tafsir uh, that the likes of those scholars who we, we consider to be the major scholars of Quran and tafsir in Al-Andalus depended upon Ibn Atiyah. So Imam Al-Qurtubi is someone who benefited widely in his tafsir from Ibn Atiyah, as we mentioned when we were going through his biography. Another scholar from the scholars of Al-Andalus who is famous for his tafsir of the Quran is Abu Hayyan Al-Andalusi and he's someone that we've mentioned before especially in terms of his, uh, his commentary on the Arabic language and eloquence and, and words and meanings and so on. Abu Hayyan Al-Andalusi Rahimahullah Ta'ala and he's also someone who depended heavily upon Ibn Atiyah Rahimahullah Ta'ala. So Ibn Atiyah is considered to be up there when it comes to the major scholars of tafsir and those that others would then depend upon in terms of his works and in terms of his, uh, his statements of tafsir. So as we usually do, we're going to split this uh, study into two parts. Number one will be a biography of the author, and number two will be a look at the methodology of his tafsir in terms of the book of tafsir. Uh, as for part one and his biography, then Ibn Atiyah is famously known by this name. So when you speak... Uh, to a student of tafsir or a scholar of tafsir or someone's referencing his book of tafsir they will often say Ibn Atiyah the son of Atiyah and Atiyah is actually one of his forefathers it's not his father or his grandfather it's actually one of his ancestors and some of the scholars said that Ibn Atiyah or Atiyah is the name of his forefather his ancestor who actually came to Al-Andalus who migrated from the Arab world from the Muslim world as it was then and he migrated towards Al-Andalus so as we know you know, Al-Andalus wasn't a place where the Muslims were. The Muslims came and they conquered those lands. And there was an army that came and Muslims that came and settled. And so from the family of Ibn Atiyah, it is his ancestor, a number of generations back that actually came and settled at the time of the conquest of Al-Andalus. He's the one who came and he settled in, uh, in, uh, in Al-Andalus. And his name was Atiyah. It is his name that is Atiyah. So as we will go, as we will mention now when we go through the lineage of, uh, of Imam Ibn Atiyah rahimahullah ta'ala, uh, Atiyah is not actually the name of his father or even his grandfather or even his great-grandfather. We're speaking about Atiyah being a number of generations up, like sixth, seventh, eighth uh, grandfather or ancestor. And so it's someone who, and perhaps that's why the name stuck in the family. Because Atiyah is the one, it is said, that actually migrated and came to Andalus. And so his descendants kind of became known as the children of Atiyah. So Ibn Atiyah is referred to Ibn Atiyah, but his name is, um, is actually Abdul Haq. His name is Abdul Haq. And his father's name is Ghalib. So he's Abdul Haq ibn Ghalib. But his father was famously known as by his kunya Abu Bakr. And so it is often said his name was Abdul Haq ibn Abi Bakr. But Abu Bakr is, is the kunya of his father. His actual name was Ghalib. So his lineage is, his name is Abdul Haq, the son of Abu Bakr, whose name, as we said, is Ghalib, the son of Abdul Rahman, the son of Ghalib, the son of Abdul Rauf, the son of Tammam, the son of Atiyah, the son of Khalid, the son of Atiyah. And so Atiyah is his, uh, let me see, one, two, three, four, five, six, 
perhaps his eighth ancestor. It is said he is the one who came and settled in Al-Andalus. Uh, the kunya of Ibn Atiyah, the famous scholar of tafsir, his kunya is Abu Muhammad. So his name is Abdul Haq, his kunya is Abu Muhammad, and he's often known as Ibn Atiyah, as we know. He's always referenced as more or less being Ibn Atiyah al-Maghrabi or al-Ghurnati or al-Andalusi. He is often referred to in this way. Um, he was born, rahimahullah ta'ala, in the year 481 of the Hijrah. 481 of the Hijrah, which roughly corresponds to the year 1088 of the Christian era. And he grew up in a household of knowledge. So his uh, father and his grandfather and his family were people who were known for their knowledge and for their virtue. So his father, Abu Bakr uh, Ghalib, as we said his name is, but he's famously known by his kunni Abu Bakr, he was from the major scholars of Granada. So as we know, Andalus is considered to be the area uh, that is generally that the whole area of Andalus is all of southern Spain and, and, and Morocco and so on. That is generally called Andalus. And then what you have is you have different places. You have Granada, which is Granada, Cordoba, which is Cordoba. And you have different types of areas there that the scholars would live in. And these were the major centers of learning that they would ascribe themselves to. Ibn Atiyah is from Granada. Qurtubi, as we said, was from Cordoba. Ibn Atiyah is from Granada. His father, Abu Bakr, was from the major scholars of his time in, in Granada. And because of that and his, his station, he's someone who gave his son a great deal of time and attention in terms of his upbringing and, and giving him knowledge. And so he began to seek knowledge at the hands of his father and some of the other scholars that were present in Granada at that time. But his father is someone that he sp spent a great deal of time studying with and he studied with him extensively. He learned from him hadith and tafsir and fiqh and Arabic language and adab and so on and so forth. Uh, and it is said that he, his father continued to do this. He would continue to help his son to study and to learn even if it is said, and Allah Azza wa Jalla knows best, but even I found in some of the uh, some of the biographies of Ibn Atiyah, um, it is said that even as his son grew up and he started to author his tafsir, as he was writing his tafsir, his father was still alive, and his father would actually give him his positions, his recommendations. He would say, or he would give him his points of benefit. He would tell him, I think this is what you should say here, and he would give him suggestions that he considered to be important. Uh, it is said in one of those stories, for example, that sometimes his father would even wake up his son at night. So if something came to him, the father, he's thinking of the Qur'an, he's contemplating over it, and he finds a benefit of tafsir or his reading, and he comes across something, and it's the middle of the night, and his son is asleep, he would go to his son Ibn Atiyah, he would wake him up, and he would say, write this or write this down concerning the tafsir of such and such a verse in such and such a surah. And so it's something which he, which which his father continued to do in terms of his uh, his uh, upbringing of his son and, and generally his, his general tarbiyah of his son and teaching him knowledge and, 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 and benefiting him in that regard. Uh, his father, rahimahullah ta'ala, um, oh sorry, Ibn Atiyah rather, rahimahullah ta'ala, the famous scholar of tafsir, uh, became a scholar in his own right as we know. And he was known not only for tafsir but also for qiraat and fiqh and hadith and Arabic language and so on. And he continued to, uh, to, to excel in, in terms of his knowledge and so on. And he became a judge in the year 529 of the Hijrah. He became a judge from the judges of that province where he lived in southern Spain. 
Uh, Ibn Atiyah rahimahullah ta'ala has a number of scholars other than his father Abu Bakr Ghalib. Uh, he has a number of other scholars uh, that he studied from. I will mention some of their names. Uh, none of them are uh, essentially very well known in that sense. Like there's no one uh, very famous that perhaps you'll have come across from. But they're from the scholars of the area and that region uh, of, of, the, of the Muslim world of that time. So from his teachers was obviously his father, as we said, his, whose name was Abu Bakr Ghalib. Uh, and from his teachers was a scholar by the name of Abu Ali al-Ghassani. And from his teachers was a teacher by the name of Muhammad ibn al-Faraj. And from his teachers was someone by the name of Abu al-Husayn, Yahya ibn Abi Zayd al-Muqri. And he also had a number of famous students or well-known students of that time again of that era. Perhaps most of them you will again not have come across. Uh, but from them is Abu al-Qasim ibn Hubaysh and Abu Ja'far ibn Madda' and Abdul Mu'im ibn Faras and Abu Ja'far ibn Hakam and others. Uh, ibn Atiyah rahimahullah ta'ala um, was someone who became well-known for his um, in terms of what he left behind in terms of his knowledge, the most famous thing and the thing that he is most well known for is his tafsir. And it is said from all of the books uh, that, he, that, he, that he authored, it was his tafsir that he authored that became prominent. It is said that he has some other books here and there, but they're not very well known, nor are they very, very well studied. So he's someone who became uh, extremely well known for this, this one single book. So you will find scholars uh, throughout Muslim history scholars who become known for many of their works, who wrote extensively, and many of those works become well known. So for example, Imam al-Tabari is a very good example. Imam al-Tabari not only has his tafsir, but he has books on hadith, as we mentioned, and books on aqidah, and books on uh, tarikh, uh, history, and so on. All of these are very well-known books uh, that, are, that have been widely accepted and widely read and, and passed from generation to generation. You have other scholars of tafsir who are, who are like this, such as Ibn Kathir, Ibn Kathir isn't just someone who has a tafsir book. He's known for, for example, his books on such as Al-Bidayah wa Nihayah. He's known for his books on, for example, the stories of the prophets and Sirah and so on. So he's someone who writes extensively and all of his books are very well known. Ibn Atiyah ta'ala, is someone who, from all of the books that he may have written, the one that he's most well known for is his tafsir. And it is his tafsir that is something which has become prominent or made him prominent, I should say, and so it's as if he spent his time and effort in, in this tafsir and that's essentially what became well known and what has reached us from his works and uh, what, uh, what people uh, most uh, associate Ibn Atiyah with his tafsir. And Imam al-Dhahabi, rahimahullah ta'ala, who died in the year 748 of the Hijrah, he said concerning Ibn Atiyah, he is the Imam, the Allama, the Shaykh of the, of the people of tafsir, and an imam in fiqh, and in tafsir, and in Arabic language, from the, from the vessels of knowledge. And so Ibn Dhabi was speaking about the biography of Ibn Atiyah, and this is the way that he described him. Uh, Ibn Farhun said concerning Ibn Atiyah, he said, the judge Abu Muhammad, Al-Qadi Abu Muhammad, because he is, as we said, he became a judge, and his kunya is Abu Muhammad. He said, the Qadi Abu Muhammad Abdul Haq, was a faqih, a jurist, and an alim, a scholar of tafsir, and the rulings of the sharia, and hadith, and fiqh, and Arabic language. And he was known for someone who was good in his writing. He became the judge of his time in, in an area from the areas of, uh, of, of Al-Andalus, 
and he was known for his his writings and he was known for his uh, his justice or for his good uh, good ability in being a, a judge. And Imam Suyuti rahimahullah ta'ala he said uh, he said concerning Ibn Atiyah he said that he wrote the famous tafsir of the Quran and that is the greatest testimony that we have concerning his imam, concerning his scholarship. And that is basically Suyuti is saying that it's enough that if you read the book of Ibn Atiyah and his tafsir that is enough of a witness or enough uh, for you to understand or of an evidence that you need in order for you to understand the level of his knowledge and his understanding of the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ibn Atiyah, um, in terms of his uh, in terms of his teachers and in terms of the time that he was living in and in terms of the area in general, one of the um, one of the things that we have to be aware of and, and rather than mention it later on when we go through the manhaj or through the methodology of his tafsir, I'll mention it now, uh, but it is related to the tafsir also. Uh, as we said, the tafsir of Ibn Atiyah is considered to be one of the major works of tafsir, one of the most beneficial works of tafsir, and something which is considered to be a reference point in tafsir. However, at the same time, as with a number of books of tafsir, there are certain errors in it that we need to kind of be aware of. These errors doesn't mean that you, um, that you dis- discard or disregard or ignore this book of tafsir but what it does mean at the same time is that you're aware of them so when you come across these issues you understand that this is something which requires maybe slightly more uh, research on your part or for you to be able to for example understand this issue correctly you need to go to other books of tafsir and not just stick to this book of tafsir um, and we mentioned something similar when we were going through the tafsir of Jalalain for those of you that followed that Ramadan series that we did and there are others uh, that similarly, uh, you know, will, it will be the same for other books of tafsir that we will go through in the future as well. Uh, and that is that Ibn Atiyah uh, lived at a time when the aqidah of the Ash'aris was very prominent. And so it's something which you will find within his tafsir that the that Ibn Atiyah ta'ala, often when it comes to issues of aqidah and the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he follows the aqidah of the Ash'aris which means that when it comes to the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he often distorts or misinterprets the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because the Sha'ira, this is essentially what they do with a number of, or, or for the majority of the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they, or especially the attributes of Allah azza wa jal, they, uh, they misinterpret them or they uh, reinterpret them in a way that they consider to be better, but it, it goes against the uh, the position of the Salaf of this Ummah and the Aqeedah of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah. So this is something which Ibn Atiyah Taala does. And so you will find when he speaks about a number of the attributes of Allah Azza wa Jal, he does this. So for example, when he's speaking about the attribute of Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala that Allah Azza wa Jal becomes angry, that Allah Azza wa Jal becomes angry. For example, in Surah Al-Fatiha when Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala says, غَيْرِ الْمَغْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ But those who incur your wrath, O Allah. So he says, that the wrath of Allah Azza wa Jal here isn't a literal wrath, but it means that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala will punish them, and so that's what they will do. They will say, "No, actually, what it means is it's not literal, but actually, what it is is a symbol for something else, or it's referring to something else." And it does something similar with the uh, with the attribute of Allah Azza wa Jal of His hands. When Allah Subhanahu wa Taala uh, speaks about His hands in the Quran, He also says that that's something which you can't take literally. Uh, and, and likewise, other attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without going into too much detail with regards to this issue. It is important, therefore, as a methodology to understand 
as we said with Imam Suyuti and others, that a number of the scholars of tafsir are not just tafsir in other other um, other sciences as well. They had mistakes when it came to certain issues. That's not because they were people who were people of misguidance or wanted to be involved in in in, in innovation, but it's just the time that they lived in and what was prominent during that time and what they were taught and they didn't have the ability or they, or they didn't find the means of breaking out of that mode and looking and researching beyond it. And so what they what you will find, and we mentioned this before when it came to, for example, the Tafsir al-Jalalain, likewise here Ibn Atiyah, and there will be others as well, you will find that there are issues uh, like this. Even though Ibn Atiyah, generally speaking, is someone who you can see through his Tafsir, loves the Salaf. And he loves the early scholars. And often in his tafsir you will find that he makes a concerted effort to go back to the very earliest scholars. Which is one of the reasons why Ibn Atiyah's tafsir is considered to be such an amazing reference point. He's often quoting from the likes of Imam al-Tabari. And he's often trying to quote from the companions and the tabi'een and go back and research and see who came up with this statement. Who brought this and that's why the scholars who came after him kind of just took from Ibn Atiyah. And Qurtubi just kind of took from Abu Hayyan and others. They just kind of took from Ibn Atiyah because Ibn Atiyah had done so much of the hard work. He'd done so much of the research. And one of the things that he does in his tafsir is he says that I will go through the statements of the scholars and what I find them upon, that's what I will take. And generally speaking, that's what he does, except in some of these issues concerning Aqidah and the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because even though he found those statements of Al-Tabari and others, because Al-Tabari is very clear, in terms of these issues in his tafsir, it's as if Ibn Atiyah kind of said, okay, but I think that he may have made a mistake here, and I will go with the position that I consider, you know, that is the prominent, prevalent position amongst his time. But definitely it is something, and as we will mention very shortly, uh, when we go into the methodology, that the scholars consider the tafsir of Ibn Atiyah, generally speaking, to be a tafsir that goes back to the ways of the Salaf and likes to uh, take from their statements and their positions, and one of the things that Tafsir ibn Atiyah is very good at and, and with, and one of the reasons why the scholars uh, like it so much and depend upon it so much, is Ibn Atiyah has that ability to take all of those positions that you find, those statements, you know, as we often say, uh, sometimes on a single issue you have 10, 15 different statements of the Salaf. Ibn Atiyah can look through that and say, actually all of them are saying one and the same thing, but they're just speaking in different ways. Or those 10, 15 different positions come back to two main positions and that's what they're speaking about. And that's something which he often does within his tafsir, rahimahullahu ta'ala. And Imam ibn Atiyah, rahimahullahu ta'ala, died on the, in the, on the 25th of the month of Ramadan in the year 542 of the Hijrah. 542 of the Hijrah, rahimahullahu ta'ala, bi rahmatihi wasi'ah. So now we come on to his tafsir and his methodology. The tafsir of Ibn Atiyah is famously known by the name of Al-Muharrar Al-Wajiz. Al-Muharrar Al-Wajiz. And often you will find the full name is Al-Muharrar Al-Wajiz fi tafsir al-Kitab al-Aziz. Al-Muharrar, tahrir is something basically where a person goes through and edits. So Al-Muharrar means something which is edited, meaning that he went through all of the books of tafsir before him and all of the stems of the scholars of tafsir and he edited and chose. That's what tahrir or al-muharrar means. Al-wajiz means summarized. So the tafsir of Ibn Atiyah, by the way, isn't a very small tafsir. It's uh, depending upon the edition that you can you get. It could be like five, seven, uh, or even ten volumes, depending upon the tafsir, uh, the edition that you buy. 
However, relatively speaking, he considered it to be, and you know, the word summarized or the word uh, abridged is something which is a relative term. So we would consider a summary perhaps to be in one volume. But in the early times, you know, if you have something like Tafsir al-Tabari, which is like 30 volumes, then 10 volumes is a summary, relatively speaking. So anyway, the point being that this is the name that it is known by Al-Muharr al-Wajiz in the Tafsir of the mighty book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or Al-Kitab al-Aziz. This um, name is what this Tafsir is known by. It's what it's famously known by. However, in, it is said that in the original manuscripts, and I say it is said because obviously I haven't been through the original manuscripts myself, but looking through the works of those scholars who have edited the Tafsir of Ibn Atiyah and have commented upon it, uh, they have said essentially that this title for the, the book isn't found in any of those manuscripts. It's as if Ibn Atiyah didn't really give his tafsir a name. He didn't really give it a name. And that's why often uh, this tafsir is known, especially today it is often referred to as the tafsir of Ibn Atiyah, simply as the tafsir of Ibn Atiyah. However, you will find, I think in all of the printed editions, this name, Al-Muharrar Al-Wajiz Fi Tafsir Al-Kitab Al-Aziz. However, as is mentioned in the in, in, in the introductions to those tafsir by the editors and the people who worked on them, uh, checking and verifying the manuscripts, they didn't find this name in the manuscripts. It's a name that seems to have become famous afterwards. However, perhaps the reason why it becomes famous is because Ibn Atiyah in his own introduction says that I want this tafsir to be wajiz and muharrara. I want it to be a summarized, edited tafsir. And so it's as if some of the people who came later on took from that, that that should be the name because Ibn Atiyah didn't give it a name per se himself. And so uh, it's often said, you know, that's what you will find, for example, people refer to this, especially in Arabic, they will say, for example, the tafsir that it is known by Al-Muharrar al-Wajiz or the tafsir that is called Al-Muharrar al-Wajiz, meaning they don't want to give it that name because Ibn Atiyah didn't necessarily call it uh, that way. Uh, but that's the name. Uh, that it is famously known by, and as we said now, most people just refer to it simply as Tafsir of Ibn Atiyah. Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, the Tafsir of Ibn Atiyah is, and he's comparing Ibn Atiyah's Tafsir with the, all, all of the other Tafsir that were written by the Ash'ari scholars. He said the Tafsir of Ibn Atiyah is more authentic in terms of its referencing and in terms of the research that was done, and it is further away from innovation even though it still contains some of it, as we mentioned, for example, in the names of attributes of the, in the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he says it's further away from innovation, even though it does contain some of that. بَلْ وَخِيرٌ مِّنْهُ بِكَثِيرٌ But rather it is better than the rest of them by miles. بَلْ لَعَلَّهُ أَرْجَحُ هَذِي التَّفَاسِيرُ But perhaps it is the best of all of these tafsir, meaning these tafsir that were written by the Mu'tazilites and the Ash'arites and others in terms of their scholars, so you have, for example, Al-Razi, Al-Makhshadi, all of these. He's saying that this is the best one out of all of them. It has still mistakes, but you can tell, as we said, in terms of when you read it, his efforts in terms of finding what the position of the Salaf was and trying to reconcile between those different statements and trying to stick as closely as he can to the Qur'an and the Sunnah. That's something which is very clear for anyone that reads his tafsir. So Ibn Taymiyyah says, rather, it is the best of all of them. However, he says, no doubt the tafsir of Ibn Jarir is better than all of these. And that's because Ibn Jarir is, as we said, Ibn Jarir rahimahullahu ta'ala. Ibn Jarir being Al-Tabari rahimahullahu ta'ala. So what is the methodology of Ibn, uh, Ibn Atiyah? Ibn Atiyah's methodology actually mentions himself um, in his book. 
So he says the in his introduction that I what I want from this tafsir or the methodology that I'm going to apply in this tafsir is number one, that I want it to be jami'an. I want it to be comprehensive. And that's why one of the beauties of tafsir uh, Ibn Atiyah is that he will go through language issues, he will go through qiraat, he will mention uh, issues, for example, he will gather hadith and narrations and so on. And so in a way it is comprehensive. I, and he said, I wanted it to be majiza muharrara. I want it to be summarized. And as we said, that's like a relative statement. So, you know, is it a summary? Yes and no. It is a summary if you're going to compare it to something like At-Tabari. But it's not a summary if you're going to compare it to some of the tafsir works that we have that are much shorter. Uh, one of the other things about the tafsir of Ibn Atiyah uh, so he, uh, is, uh, is that he also wanted it to be edited, meaning that he wanted to choose from the different statements of tafsir. And so he wanted to choose and select from them. So when it comes to the tafsir of Ibn Atiyah, uh, most, uh, you know, if you go to like many of the scholars of our time and so on who are experts in tafsir, they will say that Ibn Atiyah is considered to be an intermediary level tafsir. So you have like the tafsir that is more towards the beginner levels and you start off with your Ibn Sa'dis and Jalalains and so on. These are the tafsirs that you begin with or for example even later than them, Shaykh Al-Athaymin's tafsir. These are the tafsirs that you begin with and then you have the next level and that would be the level of the likes of Ibn Kathir and Ibn Atiyah and others and perhaps Al-Qurtubi as well. And they are good because they give you a lot more detail than what you will find obviously in Ibn Sa'di or Jalalain. But at the same time, they don't go to the extensive level of someone like a Tabari in terms of just the sheer number of narrations and and uh, and and uh, reports that he brings within his tafsir. And so it's good. And it's also good because these scholars, as we said, when they came by the 5th century, 6th century of Islam, what they're now doing is that they're uh, making it much more comprehensive. They're bringing all of these different sciences together and placing them with one another. One of the other methodologies, or the second point in his methodology, Ibn Atiyah mentions, is that he doesn't mention many narrations of Israelite traditions. And he tries to stay away from just reports and stories. So as we've said before, when it comes to especially stories of the prophets, stories of the past nations, you know, you can open up that door and there can literally be a deluge of reports and narrations concerning details. Ibn Atiyah says that generally speaking, you know, that's something which I'm not going to go into. I'm going to leave that. I'm just going to stick to what it is that we need in order to understand the verse. So if there's a hadith or if there's statements of the scholars and so on, or if there's a story that's needed in order for us to understand, I will mention that. Otherwise, I will not. And for the most part, that's what he does. Although on some occasions, for example, in the story of Ayyub salam, or the story of David and Goliath in Surah Al-Baqarah, Dawood and Jalut and so on, he does kind of go into some of those details. But generally speaking, it's something which he doesn't really mention. From his methodology is that he mentions the statements of the scholars and he names them. So he will say this is the position of, uh, you know, Qatada, or this is the position of Mujahid, or this is the position of Ikrima and Tawus and so on. This generally is something which he, which he does. It is not the most comprehensive in that regard. There are others who went to more detail in this, such as Al-Imam Al-Tabari and some of the other scholars, even Al-Mawardi in some occasions, they will go through more detail in terms of who said what and their names and mentioning all of them. Um, that's something which not necessarily Ibn Atiyah does. And that's perhaps also to keep it relatively short in terms of the more names that you mention and the more statements and reports and so on, obviously the longer it becomes. Um, the One of the benefits or one of the methodologies of Ibn Atiyah is that he tries to bring out the hidden meanings of the scholars of tafsir. 
Say, for example, a number of the scholars of tafsir, uh, as we said before, have different statements, but the meaning is one and the same. The principle is one and the same, but they just uh, they just spoke about it or discussed it in different terms, or the words that they used were varied. That's something which he often mentions, and that's why I said it is something which, if you want to see where all of these different uh, different opinions are going. Ibn Atiyah is one of the best tafsir for this. If you see a number of wide, uh, of a wide variety or wide ranging, uh, wide range of, of positions amongst the scholars, they see different statements and they all seem like they're speaking about different things. Go to Ibn Atiyah. Ibn Atiyah often cuts through all of that and he will say, and this is exactly what they're saying, and this is the position of the majority, for example, he will say, which shows to you then that that position, even though it seemed like there were a number of differences, the majority actually agreed upon that general meaning, they may have uh, verbalized that in a different way or in their own individual ways, but the meaning is one and the same. Um, <clears throat> one of the other methodologies of Ibn, Ibn Atiyah and his tafsir is that he mentions in terms of the verse, the benefits of that verse in terms of the rulings that can be de uh, derived from it, the meanings of the words. Uh, the linguistic aspects of it, so he will go through the Arab and the Nahw and the grammar, and also the Qiraat. He's someone who studied the Qiraat, and he's someone who therefore mentions the different Qiraat, and often he will mention the differences in meanings based upon the different Qiraat. So as we said, when you have a different Qiraat, it's almost as if you have a different, you have two different tafsirs. You have a tafsir of the verse based upon this Qiraat, and a tafsir of this verse based upon the Qiraat. That's a principle of tafsir. It's almost as if it's two different verses, or it's the verse being given two different tafsirs. And so therefore that's something which Ibn Atiyah often does. He says, if that's upon the Qiraat, then this is the tafsir. And upon this Qiraat, then the tafsir would differ in this way. And he often mentions that as well. Uh, one of the other things that he said was that he would want to give the tafsir of pretty much every single word of the Qur'an. In the sense, other than obviously the words that are very well known and you know, can be understood very easily, but he didn't just want to gloss over things, but he wanted to go through each of the words of the Quran and give them their tafsir, and that's something which he which he does. Uh, and also um, another thing which he does, Taala, is he also mentions, for example, um, you know some of the other the positions of scholars of tafsir. If he considers them to be incorrect or weak. He will mention that. He will say, for example, and some of the scholars of tafsir say that this is the meaning. However, that is incorrect for this and this reason. And then he will go through that in more detail. One of the other things that he does, as we said, is he mentions the qira'at. So sometimes he will mention not just the mutawatir, the well-known qira'at, but even the shad, the peculiar readings and qira'at. He will go through them as well. And he will speak about them as well. Uh, Ibn Atiyah, when he comes to his book, so we go on to his actual book now. Um, the way that Ibn Atiyah begins his tafsir is he begins with a lengthy introduction before he goes into the tafsir of the Qur'an. So he mentions a number of introductory, uh, introductory chapters before he goes into the tafsir. The first of them is concerning what the Prophet said and the companions and the scholars with regards to the virtue of the Qur'an. That's the first thing that he mentions. The first chapter in his introduction is regarding the statements of the Prophet ﷺ, the companions and the scholars, regarding the virtue of the Qur'an and the importance of holding on to it. The second chapter that he goes through is concerning the, um, the virtue of studying the Qur'an and its tafsir and the importance of knowing its Arabic grammar and you know the meanings of the Arabic words and language and so on.
Number three, uh, what the scholars said concerning making tafsir of the Quran and who has the ability to do so and ranking the scholars of, or ranking the scholars of tafsir. The fourth chapter that he mentions is uh, a, a study about the statement of the Prophet that indeed this Quran was revealed upon seven dialects or seven ahruf, seven dialects. So read whichever one is easy for you. He goes into a whole discussion of exactly what that means and what that refers to and so on. Number five, the fifth chapter is regarding the script of the Quran and its nuqat, its script and its uh, dialect or you know vowels and, and diacritical markings as well as its tahzeeb. So for example, the fact that it's split, every juz is split into eight hazab and so on, you know, all of those different uh, that is split into the quarterings and the eighths and all of those things that, the, that a juz is split into. He has a whole chapter dedicated to that. Uh, the sixth chapter is regarding words that are found in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that were originally non-Arabic words that have been Arabized. Uh, number seven, what the scholar said concerning the miraculous nature of the Quran. Number eight, um, the words of the Quran that speak that have a miraculous nature. So words of the Quran that, for example, show the miraculous nature of the Quran. Uh, number nine, the names of the Quran and its chapters and its verses speaking about that. Number 10, chapter number 10 speaks about isti'adha, a'udhu billahi min shaitan rajim Chapter number 11, speaking about the tafsir of Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. And then he begins after these 11 chapters with the tafsir of Surah Al-Fatiha and he obviously continues all the way up till Surah Al-Nas. Uh, one of the um, one of the things that I wanted to do uh, is give just one example um, of of something that you find in Tafsir of Ibn Ati, which I think is very nice, and one of the things that will find which makes this Tafsir uh, a nice Tafsir to read to, like one of his contemplations that you will find. So generally speaking, it is difficult to give um, you know to to allow someone to appreciate uh, a Tafsir, any Tafsir unless they're going to go and read it for themselves. So for example, you know, we often mention the statements of Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shalqiti in Adwa al-Bayan, or the statements of Ibn Qayyim in one of his books concerning the tafsir of a verse. Uh, these are things that are that you will find extracts in within the within their books. And often what they will do is they will mention this, but it's difficult, for example, to say to someone and point out that Ibn Atiyah does this unless you go and specify in the verse that this is something which I want you to refer to. So it's not something which they do in every single verse, but you will find verses of the Qur'an where you find these amazing contemplations of the scholars of tafsir. So I wanted to give you an example of this. In Surah At-Tawbah, verse 118, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the companions who in the battle of Tabuk remained behind. So as we know, there were a number of hypocrites that didn't go and participate. And then there were a number of companions who didn't have a valid reason for not going out, but they were hypocrites either. They didn't stay behind out of hypocrisy but out of laziness and just delaying and procrastination, they missed the battle of Tabuk. From them, the most famous of those companions was Ka'ab ibn Malik radiallahu anhu arda. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about them in the Quran and he reveals their tawbah in the Quran. And as we know, they were boycotted for 50 days and nights and so on uh, until Allah Azza wa revealed this verse of their tawbah. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in this verse وَعَلَى الثَّلَاثَةِ الَّذِينَ خُلِّفُوا حَتَّى إِذَا ضَاقَتْ عَلِيهِمُ الْأَرْضُ بِمَا رَحُبَتْ 
وضاقت عليهم أنفسهم وظنوا ألا ملجأ من الله إلا إليه ثم تاب عليهم ليتوبوا إن الله هو التواب الرحيم Allah Azza wa Jal says concerning those three companions that remained behind until the earth became restricted upon them despite its expansiveness and their lives became restricted for them and they thought that there would be no escape except towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is no escape from the punishment of Allah except to turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah Azza wa Jal then says and this is the point here of Ibn Atiyah that is going to make rahimahullah ta'ala Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, ثُمَّ تَابَ عَلَيْهِمْ لِيَتُوبُوا Then Allah repented upon them that they may repent. Ibn Atiyah says, and this is beautiful, he says that in this verse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't say that they repented, that Allah azza wa may accept their repentance. For rather Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says he accepted their repentance, meaning he gave them his repentance that they may repent towards him subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he says that the reason for this is that Allah azza wa began with his side first. Allah began with the response before the request. Allah gave them tawbah before they asked for the tawbah. The usual way is that you ask for tawbah, then Allah gives it to you. He says, and this is to show the great mercy and virtue of Allah, the great mercy and blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is that Allah is ready to accept the tawbah of his servants. Allah is ready. It's as if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is waiting and as soon as they had the intention, as soon as they understood that they needed to make tawbah, Allah was already there and He had forgiven them before they could even get to the stage of making tawbah themselves. And so that's something which is a beautiful thing. Uh, and, and He says, Rahimullah Ta'ala, but when it comes to sin, it's the opposite. Allah doesn't punish or misguide until that person takes that step and actually does something that deserves misguidance or punishment. But when it comes to tawbah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ready. And so Allah mentions the answer in this verse before he mentions the request. And that is just one example of the many examples that you will find in this tafsir concerning uh, the the uh, contemplations of Ibn Atiyah and also some of his um, you know some of his uh, his statements with regards to the positions of tafsir. So in conclusion, uh, because our time is running short, um, or, or before we conclude, the, one of the final things that I wanted to mention is some of the additions that are available for this. So this book, uh, Ibn Atiyah's book, so as we said, he, he died in 542 Hijri. This book wasn't published um, until the 1970s, uh, or, or maybe just before that, maybe like 19, 1960s, 1950s. It wasn't published for, it was one of the later works to have been published. And so it was found, for example, in, in some of the libraries in Morocco, in Fez, uh, and they printed or published uh, just some of the chapters or some of the volumes of this book without publishing it completely. And then it was the Qatar uh, government that actually in the 70s, the late 70s, they actually published this book, but it took them a long time to publish all of the uh, volumes that they wanted. That particular edition is, I think, 15 volumes, small volumes, but 15 volumes. It took them approximately like 15 years, um, 15 years in order to print uh, that particular to particular that particular book and then it's been published uh, a couple of times after that as well however it's one of those books that still requires a good uh, revision so we have like three or four public uh, three or four editions of tafsir ibn atiyah but no one has really gone through tafsir ibn atiyah and given it the dedicated uh, you know the dedication that it requires and, and and the effort that it requires in terms of its publication 
So people have done this now with the likes of Al-Qurtubi and Ibn Kathir and Al-Tabari and so on. But Ibn Atiyah is still something which requires more work in terms of just going through its manuscripts and looking through it properly and, and just uh, you know giving the book its due and its right. So in conclusion, um, this is no doubt with uh, one of the most important works of tafsir uh, that we have and, and something which every student of tafsir needs to be familiar with or at least you know, be aware of. Uh, that it's something which you know people refer to, something which people would go back to as one of your main reference points. And no doubt it has many, many gems contained within it. Like the example that I gave, but only not only that, as we said, in terms of his positions, his analysis, his commentary on the verses of the Quran, it is something which is important. And therefore, it is one of the most important reference points that a, uh, that a person can have. It's one of those tafsir that also that is also good to read from cover to cover. It's something which will help a person. So tafsirs like Ibn Kathir, like Al-Qurtubi, like Ibn Atiyah are actually very good to read from cover to cover. And it's one of those tafsirs um, that if a person was to read, they would extract a great deal of benefit from it in terms of its positions or the positions of the Salaf, in terms of narrations, in terms of linguistic benefits uh, and qira'at and those types of issues as well. It is no doubt one of the most important works of tafsir that we have. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he showers his mercy and forgiveness upon its author and that Allah azza wa raises his ranks in the hereafter that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gathers us and him in the most blessed of companionship and the highest and noblest of companionships on Yawm al-Qiyamah and in the highest ranks of Jannah. So this was a brief um, you know, biography and methodology of Ibn Atiyah and his tafsir. And inshallah ta'ala, unless there's any questions, we'll conclude for today. And as we said, um, next week inshallah ta'ala, we will try to do a special that will be slightly different. It's something which I will encourage you to attend, um, just so that you can kind of understand what it is that we're speaking about. And uh, that's if we can get the technical side to work. Uh, if not, then inshallah ta'ala, we'll just continue with the tafsir of the next surah and we'll delay that special until uh, you know we're more comfortable doing it inshallah ta'ala. So um, if there's no questions, then inshallah ta'ala let us conclude for today. Barakallahu feekum wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.